Well, good morning, church. It's good to see everybody here this morning. And uh, we're glad to be back from Oklahoma. I'm glad I don't live in Oklahoma, I can tell you that. But anyway, uh, you think it's hot here. Uh, and it has been this week, but it's about probably 10 degrees warmer down there where we were. And so it's... Uh, and it does get cool in the summer here. It gets cooler. Uh, it doesn't get much cooler in the summer in southern Oklahoma. But anyway, it's good to be back and uh, good to be worshiping with you today. I missed you last week. And, uh, and I just, uh, just appreciate you and good to be back today. We're in Matthew chapter 13 again this morning. And we're going to start in verse 24. We talked about that Matthew 13's kind of uh, seven parables about the kingdom of God. And we talked about the parable of the sower last week, which really is kind of uh, two weeks ago, the parable of the soils. What kind of soil are you? Uh, are you there to receive and respond to God's word? Or are you the kind of soil that just, just doesn't uh, listen and learn from God's word, basically? And so we're going to go on with the other... Uh, parables uh, this week beginning in verse uh, 24 and the title of the message is embracing God's kingdom and we're going to read verses 24 through 58 he put another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field but while his men were sleeping his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away so when the plants came up and bore grain Then the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let them grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the wheat first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, and when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants, and becomes a tree, so the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a, a, like a leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house, and the disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, when a man found and covered up, which a man found and covered up. 
Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys a field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in the search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went out and sold all that he had and brought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his own town, he taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where did this man get get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. May the Lord add his his blessing to the reading and the proclamation of his word. As believers, we're citizens of the kingdom of God. God took the initiative. and, And even though we were sinners, God the Holy Spirit made us aware of our sin and our need for a Savior. And we saw by, by the power of the Holy Spirit the beauty of the Savior who died on the cross in our place uh, so our sin could be forgiven. We saw the Savior uh, that was stronger than death and our Savior rose from the grave never to die again. And so somehow in God's grace uh, we believed and we switched allegiance from ourselves and our sin and, and stopped following ourselves and our sin and now our allegiance is to Jesus as the Lord, the ruler, the Savior of our lives. And now we are following Him. We are, we are in and we are, the, we are the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is right now. It's right now present among us. Uh, all who confess Jesus are part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is growing in the world today. Sometimes we don't realize that because we look... At, at, at what's happening around us. But the truth is the kingdom of God is expanding rapidly in Asia and Africa and South America and many other places in the world. Uh, it's, it's not a geographical or a governmental kingdom. It's an unseen kingdom. It does not resort to human weapons or political power, but only to the unseen power of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, Jesus continually talked about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Matthew has so much in his gospel about the kingdom of heaven. And in Matthew 13, we see uh, what we call the parables of the kingdom of, of God. These parables of the kingdom of God, these stories, are about common occurrences in life which illustrate spiritual and eternal truths. And they are designed to teach us uh, a truth and convey the spiritual realities of God's kingdom. Uh, these parables in Matthew 13 teach us this eternal truth about God's kingdom. Um, God's ever-growing kingdom continues in the world until its fullness is completed by the return of Jesus Christ. 
God's ever-growing kingdom continues in this world until its fullness is completed by the return of Jesus Christ. Now, the parables in Matthew 13 teaches about the kingdom of God. The first parable we looked at and learned is that we need to be receptive, a fertile soil to receive God's word of salvation, his word, and become fruit-bearing members of his kingdom. This week, we're going to see more truths about God's kingdom that are a part that we are today a part of. First of all, we see the kingdom's opposition. The kingdom's opposition. Now, Jesus told a second parable, a second story. He said, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. While he was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? How does it now have weeds? He said, An enemy's done this. So the servant said, Then then do you want us to gather, uh, go out and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the weed into barn, into my barn. So that was the parable. And later in private, Jesus' disciples uh, and those who wanted to sought understanding. Lord, what explain to us what is the meaning of this parable? And so Jesus told them, the one who sowed the good seed was Jesus, the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seeds, uh, good seed are children of the kingdom. They are made up of those who believe in Jesus, those Jesus had called to salvation, those whose allegiance and trust is in Jesus. But the kingdom of God is not the only spiritual force in the world today. There is the defeated kingdom of Satan and evil, (coughs) and the forces of evil still try to assert influence, power, and authority in the midst of the growing kingdom of God. And so Jesus said, the weeds are sons of the evil one. The enemy has sown the weeds in the midst of the wheat. Now in Israel, there was something they called darnel. And it was a kind of weed that in the early stages looked almost exactly like the growing grain. And so in the early stages, you could not tell the difference between uh, what was really grain and what was weeds. But after it grows up for a while, you can recognize that it's not weed, it's not grain. And so the disciples, the, the, the master's servants said, do you want us to pull that weed, those weeds out, um, and, uh, out, of, out of the wheat, uh, out of the grain? And, and uh, the master says, no, because if you pull the weeds out, you'll also uproot the wheat. And we don't want to do anything to harm the growing wheat. And so he says, don't pull them up. Let them grow together until the harvest. And at that time, the weeds will be gathered and burned and the wheat will be put in the barn. Now, what's Jesus trying to teach us according to this parable? Notice one thing. He's talking about the world. Jesus is talking about the world, not the church. Jesus is not saying that churches should allow, uh, should not use discernment and discipline uh, when members are involved in open sin, they should deal with that. There's a biblical process for dealing with that. In Matthew, I believe it's 18. 
But he's talking about the kingdom of God and, and the enemy and the kingdom of the enemy are going to be side by side in the world. They're going to grow up together. Uh, they're going to grow together. And, uh, and sometimes you're not going to be able to tell the difference between the kingdom of God and uh, the kingdom of the enemy. Uh, and so there's going to be evil present in the world right alongside the good. And so we're not to use coercion or force or government or political power to deal with the evil, the false teachings specifically, and false teachers. The good and the evil are going side by side. Even though the kingdom of God is progressing, uh, and it grows, in pro- it grows and progresses right alongside of the evil in the world. In the early stages of the kingdom growth, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between God's sons and the sons of the enemy. Later, when you can tell the difference, you, you just can't completely get rid of it. Because if you do, you're going to hurt the sons of the kingdom. Now understand, you see, Israel, the Jews thought that when the kingdom of God came, he's just going to wipe out all the evil around. He's going to take care of it. And there are people today that still ask that question. If God is, if God is a good God and he's a good thing and, and his kingdom is growing, why is there so much evil in the world? Why doesn't he just destroy it, completely do away with it? Uh, because if you completely do away with evil, first of all, you take away the opportunity for those who might believe and be saved to be saved. If God destroyed the evil in the world today, completely destroyed it, there would be no more opportunity for people to to believe and be saved. Evil grows right alongside of the good. Uh, And and it's going to be that way. Even in this day of forgiveness and grace, evil is going to grow right beside the good. Uh, If God destroyed the evil, and people will ask you this question, don't they? Man, if God's a good God, why does he allow that that terrible thing to happen that we all heard on the news or something? And you know, the answer is because if God did something about that and he destroyed all the evil, if you don't believe in Jesus, that's the greatest evil of all and you would be destroyed. You would be destroyed. You see, evil and, and God's kingdom are going to grow side by side until Jesus returns, until judgment comes. Also, you know, it's not always easy to tell those who belong to Jesus and those who do not belong. We might think some don't belong, and they do belong, and later that will show in their lives. We might think some do belong, and they seem to be following the Lord, and they seem to be teaching the right stuff, but the more you listen to them, the more you realize, no, it's not, not quite right. It's not what it ought to be. And so we don't always have the discernment to tell the good from the evil, and when you try to Root out all the evil. You know, there are people that go around and they're always looking for false teaching and false teachers and always denouncing people. You've got to be careful about that because you might root up some of the good stuff with the evil that's growing right by its side. I'm not saying we shouldn't have discernment. We should have discernment. You and I should be in our Bibles every day and we should be reading and growing so that we'll know when things just aren't right. But also, sometimes it's not always easy to tell. And you have to let, let it grow and see what happens to it. You see, we can't, we, we've got to understand evil and good are going to grow. 
people that want God to just do away with the evil don't understand. If they don't believe, they're part of the evil that God's going to do away with. But God is a gracious God. And the scripture tells us he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come repentance. Yes, yes, the day of judgment is coming. It is coming. There's going to be a day when God's going to do completely away with evil. When no horrible thing will ever happen again. But until that day comes, it's an opportunity for repentance. It's an opportunity for repentance. Don't miss that there will be a day of judgment. There will be a time of separation. There will be uh, an ultimate uh, you know, separation of those who believe and follow Jesus and those who have refused to follow Jesus. But that won't happen until the very end of the age. You see, as believers, we have to understand there is an enemy, an opposer, who works against the kingdom of God. Whenever the word of God is planted, there's an enemy who's going to work alongside that too. It's not just going to be you're going to share the gospel and people are just going to come to faith right there. There's going to be an enemy that, that wants them, that tries to take that seed away. And so we have to remember our struggle is never against people. It's never against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Like Paul said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers uh, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Therefore, take the whole armor of God. You'll be able to stand uh, be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You see, there's no doubt that the kingdom of God's going to grow and going to win. It's going to win. But, uh, but until the end of the age, there's always going to be opposition. And we have to deal with it in a godly way. You know, we have to deal with the opposition, not in the way they deal with us. We have to deal with them in love. We have to deal with them in grace. We have to deal with them in mercy. We can't return hatred for hate and, 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 uh, and violence and, um, you know, uh, just uh, hateful, hurtful talk with the world. We can't do that. God doesn't want us to do that. We have to fight with the weapons that Jesus has given us, the weapons of faith and love and grace and truth. There's no doubt who wins, but there, we will be opposed. So there's an enemy who opposes the kingdom of God. Secondly, notice the kingdom's growth. The kingdom's growth. Uh, Jesus told two parables about the way the kingdom of God would grow, and it's incredible growth. He said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. A mustard seed is just, just like a, almost as just about the size of a speck of dust. But you plant it, and the plant grows to be the largest kind of garden plant there is. It's a, it's a huge plant. I, I read somewhere that, uh, it, uh, that it can grow the height of a man or a horse. It's a huge kind of plant. And Jesus said the kingdom of God is like that. At the beginning, it's almost invisible. It's not noticed when it's maybe received and believed. It seems small and powerless. It has no physical weapons or political power that you would think it will amount to anything. 
But when you plant it in the lives of people, it grows incredibly and makes huge differences in the lives of individuals and families and communities and nations. Then Jesus said the kingdom of God is, is uh, he used an even more common kind of illustration. He says it's like a woman uh, that, that puts yeast in, in three measures of flour till all of it was leavened. You take a small amount of flour, just three measures, and you put some yeast in it, and you knead it, and you just leave it and let it grow, and you can feed, I think they said 50 to 100 people with three measures of flour, with bread. Uh, You just put the small amount of yeast with it, and it grows. You don't have to do anything but wait. And it grows steadily and quietly and tremendously and feeds many people. The kingdom of God is grow is grow. It, that's the way it grows. It's almost imperceptible. You know, we we hear stories about you know the great opposition to the to uh, the gospel in the world, and it, and it's very true. There's a great opposition to the gospel in the world, but there's also the quiet working of of the of the Holy Spirit in many places in the world we don't hear about. Uh, among Muslim groups around the world, among the people of uh, of uh, China and India, uh, uh, among the people of Iran, there's a great movement of of the Spirit of God that people are coming to faith. We don't hear about it because it's not public. It's 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 kind of quiet because there's persecution in those places. But the kingdom of God is growing, and it's going to grow, and it's going to keep growing. Uh, it's going to grow until Jesus returns. You see, we think we need all kinds of gimmicks and media and advertisement and money to make the kingdom of God grow. But that's not right. We've got to simply be faithful in doing the thing that God sets before us, continually speaking the gospel to people, planting those small seeds, kneading, uh, kneading that dough, setting out the, the gospel, and the kingdom's going to grow. Why? Because it has inherent power. There's power in the gospel. The apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, you just be faithful in the kingdom. You know, we get discouraged on days like today. we got a smaller crowd. It's always right-leaning or left-leaning, depending on your perspective, you know, where you're sitting. But the truth of the matter is, that doesn't matter. You see, we every one of us just has to be faithful and do the things that God calls us to. I, I'm not saying I, I want us to grow, of course. And I want us to see more people come to Jesus. But crowds don't really discourage me like they did when I was a young pastor. I just know I've got to keep doing the things that God calls me to do. And it's the same way in your life. And it's gonna, there's going to be more people here probably next week. Don't don't let things like that discourage you because, you see, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. If we are faithful to the gospel, if we're proclaiming the gospel, if we're preaching the gospel, we're teaching the word of God, God is going to bless it and it's going to grow and it's going to make a difference. And it might make a difference how we heard about a couple weeks ago in a person like Lydia Delacat's life whom God has called to go to an unreached people group. I mean, I was so excited last, last, when she told me that, I was so excited. You see... The, 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 the measure of what a church does is not so many people 
how many people gather, but how many people are sent out into the world to, to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. You see, the kingdom of God is going to grow. Don't ever, don't ever get so discouraged that you forget you are part of the team that wins. You are part of the, of the kingdom of God. And God and Jesus are going to rule and reign forever and ever and ever. And he has made us his children and we are part of his kingdom. Thirdly, I want, to, I want you to see something else. The kingdom's worth. The kingdom's worth. Jesus told two parables and he said the kingdom's God's like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Uh, and he goes and sells all he has to buy that field. Now, the first parable is simply about a man kind of living his life, working in, his, in the world, in the field that he's supposed to work in. And in the field that he's working in, he discovers a buried treasure. Now, we think this is a little far-fetched, but actually it wasn't that far-fetched. Because people would bury things in places, and they would forget or they would die and they wouldn't know where it was. Invading armies would crisscross uh, Israel all the time. And sometimes they would bury treasures and, and go and fight a battle and then maybe they would lose and the treasure would remain there. And so there were times that people would find buried treasures in the field. And so the man's working, he's working in the field, and he comes across a buried treasure. And so he, he sees its value, he covers it up, and he goes and he sells everything he can in order to buy that field so that he can get at that treasure. He stumbles upon it. He wasn't looking for it. it, 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 it he just stumbles upon it, but when he stumbles upon it, he realizes its value. He realizes its value. And he does everything he can to acquire that field so he can acquire that treasure. You see, that's kind of like it is in, in some people's lives. They're not looking for Jesus. They're not looking for the gospel. You know, they're not, they're, they don't even realize they need to be saved. They need a Savior. But somehow they stumble, a witness of a believer, they stumble across the gospel and they discover its tremendous, uh, inestimable worth. And they know that... <coughs> Following Jesus is worth everything uh, they could ever possess or give up. He's worth everything. Jesus said a second parable. The kingdom's heavens like a merchant in search of fine pearls. He finds one of a pearl of great value and he sells everything he has and he buys the pearl. <clears throat> This man also discovers the great treasure of the gospel. The great treasure of a pearl. But this man kind of has been looking for it. He's been looking for it. He's been a pearl merchant all his life. And he's looking for pearls of great value. Uh, something in this man has moved him to seek the valuable things of life. Maybe this man is a person who's looked into all the kinds of philosophies and religions of the world, seeking truth and beauty, but none of it satisfies. None of it is enough. And so he keeps looking. And when he finds that pearl of great value, the one he's truly sought for for so long, he sells all he has to acquire that pearl. This is the person who's been looking 
and around, he knows life is not all that, that he's experiencing or she's experiencing. And so when he finds the gospel and he, and he hears the gospel, he recognizes its supreme value and leaves everything behind in order that he might follow Jesus. You ever known someone like that? They're, they're looking and then all of a sudden they find Jesus and they realize, this is what I've been looking for all my life. He is what I've been looking for all my life. Michael Green wrote uh, about uh, Justin Martyr uh, in the Bible Speaks commentary. He said, one thinks of Justin in the early second century, a brilliant professor who had tried all the philosophical schools and remained unsatisfied. One day he met a little old man in a field who told him about Jesus. He immediately started reading the scriptures to see if it was so, and he became convinced and became a joyful Christian, even though later on it led to his martyrdom, it led to his death. You see, after the long search, he'd found the pearl of great value. You see, both of these examples talk about the value of following Jesus and knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus and being part of his kingdom is something of supreme value. Whatever it might cost you to follow him, Jesus is worth it. That is why people could walk into the Colosseum and face lions. That is where people can go to places that are dangerous in our world today because they know that loving and walking with Jesus and following him is worth whatever it costs. It might, someone might just stumble upon Jesus and they, they see his value. Or they might be someone that seems to be searching for ultimate truth and they find Jesus and they discover his supreme valuable value. You see, we, we forget how valuable the kingdom of God is, how valuable it is to know Jesus, see the incredible worth of the kingdom of God. But finally, there's one more thing. See the kingdom citizens and its pitfalls. Now, there's going to be, at the end of the age, a final judgment. The scripture is very clear. Man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. There's going to be a separation of those who are in the kingdom and those who are not. No one's going to avoid this judgment. No one. All will be gathered before God in judgment. And those who belong to him will be with him in his kingdom forever. And those who do not belong to him will be separated. And, and, uh, and the scriptures says what will happen to them is it's so terrible that it uses terms like fiery furnace and gnashing of teeth. You know, I tell people the best you ever experience in life if you're not a Christian is what you experience right now. But for a Christian, the worst thing that can happen to you in life uh, is the worst thing you'll ever experience. Jesus, we have eternity uh, to be in his presence. And so there is this kind of... uh, of judgment to know Jesus is worth whatever it costs us in this life and 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 eternity we we can't even begin to imagine the, the blessings that it's going to be a part of but if you don't know Jesus uh, the best you'll ever have is right now Jesus says like a dragnet the dragnet goes through and, and they, they had different kinds of nets they fish with but this was one they put heavy weights on and they kind of drag it across the bottom of the lake so everything in the dragnet would be caught and then after everything is caught 
uh, then there's a sorting. You see, it's saying none are going to avoid this. Everyone's going to stand before God in judgment. And then there will be a separation of those who believe and those who refuse to believe. And so the question we ask ourselves is which group will I be in on the day of God's final sorting and separation? If you believe, you'll be with Jesus. If you have not believed, you won't be. Notice one more thing from Matthew 13. There are pitfalls to being close to the kingdom of God. Now, if you look at Matthew 12 and Matthew 13, both of them end with, uh, with stories that almost seem out of place. In Matthew 12, Jesus' mother and his brothers, the sons of Mary and Joseph after Jesus was born, were standing outside of his disciples wanting to come in and get him. And Luke tells us and some other places tells us that they're worried about Jesus some of them think, some of his brothers think he lost his mind. You know, they don't understand anything about Jesus. His brothers at that time did not believe. The scripture tells us. Now we know that his brother James, uh, I think it's James and Jude, both came to faith later. Uh, we don't know about the rest, but but they were outside of the kingdom. His family was looking at him. They were thinking he's crazy and basically they, 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 they're not embracing him and what he's all about. Jesus' brothers are so familiar with Jesus they didn't recognize him at that time as Savior and Messiah. Now at the end of chapter 13 Jesus go back, goes back to his hometown and he teaches in the synagogue. But the hometown folks were also familiar with Jesus. They knew his family they could not believe that this small town boy was, was anything other than the small town boy. They could not believe he was Savior and Messiah. Their familiarity with him caused contempt and they rejected Jesus. They did not believe in Jesus. This also kind of points uh, to, to the rejection of Jesus at the end when he died on the cross. And... Uh, and the and the and even though his his own would not believe, others outside of those uh, who were not of Israel, they did believe. You see, familiarity caused contempt. You know that can happen too today. You know that. You can be raised in a Christian home. You can taught, be taught the truths of the gospel. You can become so familiar with the things of God that you do not embrace Jesus as your Savior, your leader, your life. Familiarity makes you think, maybe there's a better treasure out there somewhere. You don't embrace Jesus as the ultimate treasure, the one of ultimate value. But I want to say to you, don't let familiarity with the things of Jesus cause you to reject, cause you not to embrace and treasure Him as the treasure that He is. You see, make sure you're, the, you're part of the kingdom of God. Don't allow familiarity with the things of the kingdom keep you from embracing and treasuring our great King. Don't let that as a believer, as you follow Jesus, don't forget how wonderful it is to be a part of of the kingdom of God, of, of, of knowing Jesus and being a part of his family. How wonderful 
it is to be a citizen of the kingdom. You see, every believer is a citizen of the kingdom of God. Ultimately, that's the only citizenship that matters. The only one that is eternal. God's kingdom is going to grow until it's consummated when Jesus returns. God's kingdom has an enemy and he's going to oppose its progress until Jesus returns. Whatever it costs to be a part of the kingdom of God and to follow Jesus, it is worth whatever it costs. And don't let familiarity with the things of Jesus cause you to not embrace him and to love him and to live with everything that you and I are for him. God's ever-growing kingdom continues in the world until its fullness is completed by the return of Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We give you glory. We seek your face. We ask you to help us and draw us to yourself and work in our lives. We ask you to move in mighty ways. In Jesus' name.